When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The, the, the winds of change are blowing through Raider Nation. And Silver and Black Today keeps you up to date with the latest news and views about your Las Vegas Raiders. Touchdown, Las Vegas! With insight, opinions, and interviews. We're on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Now, now, with the latest on your Raiders and the NFL. Your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Houghton. Welcome back. Silver and Black today in Odyssey Original Podcast covering your Las Vegas Raiders. Thanks for being with us. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please do so wherever you get your audio. Just look up Silver and Black today. Subscribe and hit the auto download button for us. We would appreciate that. And I say us as I bring in my broadcast partner. That is the national NFL writer over at BleacherReport.com. Of course, that is one Mo Moten. You can follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. You can follow me on Twitter as well at LV Gully. The show is SNB Today. Mo, we're in the doldrums of summer, but some sad news in the world of Raider Nation as legendary offensive lineman Bob Brown passed away at 81 years old over the weekend. Uh, a Hall of Famer, just an amazing, one of the best offensive linemen in history, and the Raider Nation loses a, a good one, a great, great player. Of course, he lived in Oakland and um, originally from Ohio, but our condolences out to the Brown family. Yeah, absolutely. We lose another former Raider. Uh, it, sh- it also goes to show how old we're getting, uh, <laughs> that, that players now that and you know, Bob Brown's before my time, you know, 70s, 60s and 70s. So yeah. before my time, but goes to show how time is flying. And now we're, we're losing a lot of a lot of NFL greats, a lot of greats, period, yeah. in the world today. For sure. And and a happy belated Father's Day to everybody out there who celebrated. Also belated happy father, heavenly father's birthday, Father's Day, excuse me, to Mo's dad, my dad, both up there. Maybe they're doing a video together this morning up there. <laughs> Doing their own silver and black today up above, right? Yeah, saying these <laughs> kids down there, what are they doing? They don't know what they're doing. Let's show them how to do it. So, uh, but again, I hope you guys all had a wonderful Father's Day. I know I did. Speaking of who's your daddy, um, let's talk about the story oh, that came out over the tail end of the week. And again, I know, you know, our good friend, Kevin, who always puts up the meme about a slow news. It is slow. There's not a lot of news going on. So we're going to talk about this. Um, and no, it's not about a movie, but it's about Derek Carr. Derek Carr Uh-oh. had, I know the car wars return, um, had a mea culpa of sorts at the end of the week in an interview talked about how he felt guilty. He felt bad that he didn't give his best Uh-oh. last year for the Raiders said that not only was it a new offensive system yet again for the player, 
but also personal things. He was struggling personally. And so it's really interesting. Mo, I have some thoughts on this, and it's not about beating up Derek Carr. It's not about you know trying to make him look bad, because I actually, in some ways, respect immensely the fact that he admitted this. Uh, but I want to get your first take on it, because I thought the reaction... And again, I know he's a New Orleans Saint now, and some people say, why are you talking about him anymore? Well, well, move on. Again, it's a slow week. But nonetheless, it's still, it's still a big deal because remember, when all of last year was unfolding and Derek Carr wasn't performing as though he, as he did in 2021, um, there were a lot of folks who wanted to say that that was because of the team around him and that you know the coaching staff, the coach was terrible, blah, blah, blah. But Derek Carr steps up and takes responsibility. I want to get your first pass on what you thought about his comments and kind of any kind of enlightening pieces that came out of what he said. Well, first of all, I will say this is a Raiders story simply because he he talked about the Raiders and his time with the Raiders. So this wasn't Derek Carr making a comment about his time with the Saints. Basically, he said the Raiders didn't get the best version of him. So, yes, this is a Raiders story, so we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to spend, you know, an hour, but we will. <laughs> what I will say about what he said is that I remember – and we, you know, we like to give proper credit on this show. I remember Hondo Carpenter of uh, SI.com wrote a piece, mm -hmm. and I, I'm going to read the quote. One of his bullet points said, One of the players told Hondo Carpenter that when John was out, John Gruden, former head coach of the Raiders, when John was out, I think Derek felt unprotected. Mm. So that stuck out to me because Hondo also had some um, parts of his piece where he said, Derek wasn't himself. Mm -hmm. And meaning by 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 saying he was himself, he said that Derek was a little more, you know, short tempered, I guess you could say. And I'm using that paraphrase for um term, you know, short tempered, mm -hmm. a little more snappier than usual. And if you remember the Teary press conference that he had middle of the year, right? Right before they, I believe, right right after the Colts game, I think it was. Right after the Colts the loss, yep. Right after the loss to the Colts, he had a teary eyed press conference. And to me, um, it, it, it signaled a player who felt like it was maybe coming to an end because mm. year after offseason after offseason, Derek Carr basically said, I'm the quarterback of the Rays until I'm ready to move on. But I think for the first time, going back to that quote from Hanna Carpenter's piece that Derek Carr felt unprotected, for the first time, I think Derek felt like, okay, maybe next year I'm not going to be the quarterback of the Rays. My time could be up and I have no control over that. And yes, Derek Carr has gone from system to system. He's gone through multiple head coaches and, and play calls. But this situation was different in that Josh McDaniels came in praising Derek Carr. But if you also read Hondo's piece, he also criticized Derek Carr in front of people. He dressed him a bit in front of teammates. And I think that was a different feeling for Derek Carr. So when Derek Carr says he felt personal challenges or uh, professional challenges, I think that was part of it. He was treated differently under Josh McDaniels than he was under previous regimes. I'm not saying he wasn't criticized by John Gruden, by Dennis Allen, by by De Jack Del Rio. But what I'm saying is that I, I think this was different. The fact that he felt the tide turning on his tenure with the Reds, that this may be a point where it's not just criticism. I may be out the following year. So Derek Carr's comments don't surprise me. Because mm -hmm. I read Hondo's piece, and, that's, and I, I didn't say anything about it, but because I like to speculate on speculation. Sure. But it turns out that a lot of the stuff in Hondo's piece matched what Derek Carr said this past week. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I think to your point about when John Gruden was out, <clears throat> Derek Carr didn't feel as protected. 
Protected from what is the question? I think you could say protected for sure, because I think John Gruden, for all of the churn, remember all the churn we heard about how John Gruden wanted to get rid of Derek Carr, it was exactly the opposite, opposite. right? Because yeah. we see we see now in New Orleans, John Gruden has been there. He might have some ongoing involvement with Dennis Allen's team because of Derek Carr being there. So, so all of that speculation was 100% completely wrong. John Gruden went out of his way to protect Derek Carr, probably to a fault, I would say, as we saw. But again, Derek Carr improved under John Gruden. So in some ways, you can't argue with the approach. And so maybe that's the approach. Now, I know a lot of detractors of Derek Carr will say, well, he's soft. See, it shows. Now, whatever you want to call it, yes, some players have personalities that are different. Derek Carr we know this from how he would often deflect criticism by saying he didn't care about criticism. Okay. Well, I don't care what people say. Well, no, when, when you say what you don't care what people say, that's means you do because you're thinking about it and you're talking about it. So I think John Gruden knew this about Derek Carr, which is why he handled him the way he handled him. Then when Josh McDaniels comes in, guess what? It's the opposite. He's got nothing. And, and listen, I don't know about any of you, but we've all been in jobs where we have a boss change. And the boss comes in, maybe you were the previous boss's guy or gal, whoever, and then the new boss comes in and you don't have that relationship and you feel more uncomfortable because you're certain you're not you're not certain about your future. And so that's where Derek Carr got knocked off kind of his game in the way I look at it, right? So you see that, and that's what happened. And to me, that's what comes out of the story so much is the fact that he he didn't feel comfortable. And then, of course, in this piece, too, he mentions the fact that there were personal things going on. I don't think that means like family per se. There could have been. But remember, so many of you went to defend Derek Carr to the death that it was not anything he was doing. But in reality, the truth, Mo, is always more nuanced. We don't know everything that's going on. So you can't dismiss out of hand one reason or the other and i think that that's a big lesson here for all of us not only in the media but for fans to say listen yes the raiders defense sucked last year but so did Derek carr and that was not all the defense's fault and it's this is not us criticizing car car no, no basically say yeah i you know i didn't give the rate his words were i didn't give the raiders the best version of myself because of these professional and personal challenges now i won't speculate what those personal challenges were he didn't say he, he decided to keep that private so we'll leave that alone right, right but as far as the professional challenges based on hondo's piece and what Derek carr just said and some of the, the whispers coming out of there after you know a, a disastrous 6 and 11 season it seems as though Derek carr was poked and prided a lot a lot more than he had been in the past and he was uncomfortable with that to an extent and he let that impact his game on, on the field now again that's this is not us criticizing Derek carr this is Derek carr saying he didn't give the Rays the best version of himself, and he said he won't allow that to happen again while he's with the Saints. He's moving on, turning the page and learning from that from that lesson. But yeah. what I will say about this whole thing is, if you remember at the end of the season, I, I said one thing, and I stand by it today. I, I I don't see how you could, regardless of how it ended between the Raiders and Derek Carr, you cannot paint Carr as the victim here. No, He was part of the problem. He just told yeah. you he was part of the problem. Now, he said he didn't handle the situation well, he should have, and he's learning from it. But for the people who painted Carr as his victim and they're doing Carr dirty, <laughs> this is – I shook my head and I said, did you not watch the football games? You know, yeah. I understand you may not like Josh McDaniels, but Derek Carr made a ton of mistakes. And 
Now he's telling you that, you know, basically certain things away from the football field impacted his game for, you know, right or wrong. No one's perfect. It happens to all of us where we, we don't give our best at certain times and he's admitting it. So for, for the people that used to paint him as the victim of being done dirty and, oh, they, they you know, they, they didn't handle the situation great. You, you may not like the way they benched him in the last two weeks. But Derek Carr, as I said, saw the end coming. He knew that he wasn't playing at his best. And the mm-hmm. Rays were ready to move on. A breakup is never, hardly ever, two happy sides unless both sides are ready to move on. Clearly, Derek Carr wasn't. And and that's just how it is in real life. When you when you have a breakup and one side isn't ready, you're going to have raw feelings. Yeah. And not only that, Mo, again, and he lost the one coach that I think managed him and developed a relationship with him based on his own personality. And I don't think he had that in any other coaches. Now, he had a lot of coaches. But I don't think even Jack Jack Del Rio was a tough guy. I mean, I know I know Gruden came off that way. But the way that Gruden handled Carr and and played to his personality and played to the need for personal connection, all that kind of stuff, that's a hard thing to lose. And so Derek Carr didn't react well to it. And I think that, you know, again, even in the end of it, and I stick by my criticism of him for not going to those last three games. I don't, I don't care. You know, some reports, well, that he he asked to, as we found out, and the team granted him permission. But again, you know, you finish strong, even when you're not in the situation you necessarily want to be in, you finish strong. So that's my only criticism I have here. But I give Derek Carr all the respect in the world for having come out and say this because it shows the kind of person he is. We've always said Derek Carr is a good guy. And he's come out and he said, hey, look, I own pieces of that. And to your point, he was no victim, including by the team giving away his number to another player after he left. Okay, there's no victimhood here. There is an end, a natural end of a relationship. If you remember, Mo, going back last season, about midseason, I said maybe it's time for an amicable divorce. And, and, and it didn't end up being as amicable as I thought it could be, to your point. Why? Uh, but certainly it was a natural end. And I think Derek Carr, that's what he spoke to as he talked about that too. He was not into it. He lost the guy that he really wanted to play for. And uh, the Raiders clearly wanted to move on. So it's, it's to me a little bit of a good ending and a chapter closing by having him come out and say that. And I think that we can move on too, talking about Derek Carr from this perspective because he's closed the loop. Right. He's basically, he, he, he's referred back to his time with Riz, but basically he he kind of just gave you some insight on his mindset yeah. in a in a in a trying rough year and gave you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain about how his mindset was. Because to me, when he had the Tiri press conference, it was very different. He did say at the time that it was just a, a, a just a boil up of nine years that that you know resulted in some emotion, but usually there's a tipping point. Even mm-hmm. if it is a buildup of time when things happen, a person blows up like that, there's usually a tipping point. Something had happened, and I know they lost a football game, but they've lost plenty of football games with Tara Carr. There's a reason <laughs> this one was this one was was different. And and it wasn't just about Jeff Saturday being an ESPN guy and, and being an interim head coach and, and beating the Raiders and having his only win, which we found out at the end of the season was his only win uh, against a team this year as a head coach as an interim, but I think it's just Derek Carr seeing into the future and thinking, wow, I may not be the Raiders quarterback in 2023, and I'm going to have to adjust to this. 
And it all happened after I, you know, I thought I was pretty set in my position. Now, I'm, you know, getting inside the, the mindset of Derek Carr, but he's probably thinking, wow, I went from Gruden, who, who I felt safe and secure, as one player said, protected, to mm. a guy who, who's, who's, you know, who could move on from me. I have a no trade clause, but they can let me go and save a lot of money, and and that's and that's exactly what happened. So yeah, yeah, I mean. Is. They had a chance. They had an out, and he gave them the perfect out because he didn't play well. So I think that 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 realization, I'm sure, hit him uh, in that Colts game and after. So, uh, but that's it. I mean, that it's a, it's a good to me a good uh, way to close the chapter to understand and you know responsibility taken by the player, uh, in addition to of course the team uh, its role in it as well. All right, we're going to step aside for our break. When we come back, we'll roll on. We'll get up to speed on some other news in the NFL, including some some national columnists writing about the Raiders and Harity having too much drama around the 2023 season. So we'll talk about that when we come back. You're with Mo and Scott. This is Silver and Black Today. Don't go anywhere. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast covering the Las Vegas Raiders. Mo Moten, Scott Branson into segment number two. Do us a favor if you don't already subscribe to the podcast. Please do so wherever you get your audio. Also, hello to the folks on YouTube. Also hit subscribe there, but do us a second favor and hit the notifications bell. That way, when we have a new video or we go live... You will know instantly. So thank you for doing that. All right, Mo, let's get back. Uh, we talked about it kind of being a slow week, but there are a, a spat of pieces going around by the writer types like you. and <laughs> You people. You people. Uh, Jeffrey Ch- uh, Chidea over at NFL.com wrote a piece, uh, and it was called The 10 Biggest Questions Hovering Over NFL's First Wave of Mandatory Minicamps. Now, of course, the Raiders were part of that, uh, if you don't know. And number five for him was, is there already too much drama around the Raiders? Now, I want to get into this because I don't agree with Jeffrey um, because I think a lot of the drama that's been created has been created by the media. Media. <laughs> so so right. let's, let's give him a fair shake, though. He starts with the Jimmy Garoppolo foot story. Then he also talks about the public complaints of Devontae Adams, which we've already talked numerous times about here. And it really wasn't complaints. It was a leader speaking up and just talking openly. Uh, and, and he claims that he backtracked from that, which I don't think he backtracked. I think he was clear if you read it in context. Then uh, also they talk about, obviously, Josh Jacobs and the situation there. So my question, Mo, is listen, there's the, the, the Raiders and the Garoppolo thing certainly 
was some drama. Was it a big deal? No, I think it was a one 24 hour news cycle to me, but of course the national media that doesn't cover the Raiders regularly jumps on it. Cause it always seems like the Raiders have some kind of mess going on, especially the last three years. So you look at that and, and the things he identified. Uh, and again, we're not here to bash the media either because we're part of it, but I'm just saying that from a national perspective, you say it all the time. A lot of these writers or, or content creators will jump in on a Raiders story. They don't really have the context we do of covering the team every day. Do you think that the Raiders have too much drama already coming into this preseason? I'm going to take a slightly different perspective than you would think. Mm. I'll say that I'm one of those people who, when I make my season predictions, if a team has a lot of drama in the offseason or it has a lot of noise, as I would call it, in offseason, mm-hmm. I usually predict a lower win-loss record than I normally would because usually that noise turns into issues during the season, usually. Right? So... I would put the Cardinals in that in that category. A lot coming out about Kyler Murray of the last two off seasons. Um, I would have put the Ravens in that category had the contract issue with Lamar Jackson lingered on, but it seems like Lamar Jackson loved the offense. But to the Raiders, I think there's enough there's enough noise around the Raiders that you're concerned. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I will say that the stories that Jeff brings up in his piece were were kind of blown up more than they should have been blown up. So it was kind of, like you said, the Devontae Adams situation, to me, in my opinion, no. was something to note because he said it, because he said what he said. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't to the point where I saw trade pieces featuring the, where, five places Devontae <laughs> Adams could go. And I know Bleach Report did, ran a story because you know, Gary Davenport has, an own, has his own opinions about it. But there are a lot of people saying Devontae Adams should ask to be traded. That's not what Gary wrote in his Bleach Report piece. He just said, right. if it happens, this is these are the five spots that he would fit. But people were writing pieces saying Devonta Adams should demand a trade. <laughs> and I was like, hold on, you know, if you read the piece, he clearly says, wants to bring a championship to, to the Raiders, wants to see it through with the Raiders. Yeah, wants to be there. His criticisms, wants to be right. there. He never said that he wanted to be traded or he doesn't know what his future holds or that. You know, I, I don't know if I want to be a part of this, you know, going forward or I want to be traded. Now, a lot of players won't come out and say this, but I believe Devontae, if he's going to be outwardly honest about the criticisms of the offense, I think if he didn't want to be there, you'd know, like, you kind of get the, the indication that he wanted to be traded ASAP. And I, if you read the piece in its entirety and not just the blurbs from the piece, you got the idea that he had his criticisms about the direction of the offense. But didn't mm-hmm. request a trade and doesn't want to be traded as of right now. The Josh yeah, Jacobs it, thing, really quick. The the Josh yeah. Jacobs thing, it I wouldn't call it noise because I think a lot of teams that have top tier players with expiring contracts have the same type of issue. Right. So Josh Jacobs isn't the only one in this boat. As I just mentioned previously, Lamar Jackson had a contract issue. Uh, J.K. Dobbins of the Ravens right now wants a new contract. Quentin Williams is not expected to be at Jets camp because he wants a new contract. Is that considered noise? That yeah. too much noise that a team should be worried? No, it's just to me those, these are regular steps in a contract negotiation. Players want a player wants a new contract. What does he do? He stays away from the team and hopes that the team will cave a bit and give him a new contract. And if that doesn't happen, sometimes they stay away a little longer. Sometimes they come in and hold in, which we'll probably yeah. see at training camp. But I don't think this is a big deal for the Raiders. There's some noise, but not enough for me to say, oh, there's there's trouble in the waters in Las Vegas. Yeah, and and, and Jeff is a good writer. Don't get me wrong. I read yeah. his stuff all the time, but he also, he didn't have anything about Saquon Barkley on there. It's the same situation. So I know he's right. two stories to say, hey, there's three stories, 
But to me, the Josh Jacobs thing is what it is, and it'll it'll play itself out. Um, but I do think that you look at the, even the Garoppolo situation, and we'll get our good friend Michael Lombardi from the GM Shuffle podcast on pretty soon to talk about it. But he went in depth the other day, and it was so great because I had talked about this on our show when the when the Garoppolo the addendum stuff came up, which is like this is no big deal. This happens every single year in the NFL with a lot of players, and he says it doesn't get reported on now. Many of you might think, well, he's defending his son. He's not defending his son. He's saying that, look, Jimmy Garopp, signing Jimmy Garoppolo in itself to the beginning, this is the point we made on the show, Mel, is dangerous because the guy's always injured. Okay, so that's one story. The second story about the foot and the addendum is no big deal. And, and it, it happens every year in the NFL. He said, in fact, if you go through every NFL franchise, you'll probably find two or three of the same type of addendum for players on the team. Now, it might not be the quarterback. Yeah. It might not be Jimmy Garoppolo, who's been injured all the time. <laughs> so that's what compounds it. But I think I think you're right. Yeah, I think there's a concern about the Raiders because of those issues. But I don't necessarily think that I'm overly concerned. Or to your point, I don't think it's indicative of something like this going to be a train wreck. I know a lot of you out there who watch and listen to the show because yeah. you tell me that the Raiders are going to be a train wreck. And, and they could be. Who knows? We don't know for sure. But I don't think that this is an indication of that yet. I, I, the other thing is with the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, I think it, it happens a lot. As, as a person who covers the league, I do see stories about players having failed their physical. Then, they, mm -hmm. then the team releases uh, – not releases them, but doesn't go through with the contract. If you remember not too long ago, I think it was – um, the Rays were supposed to sign Eli Apple. Now, this wasn't an injury situation. Right. But if you remember a few off-seasons ago, the Rays were going to sign Eli Apple. It was, it was reported that they agreed to terms on a contract. It didn't work out for whatever reason, right? Now, this wasn't an, uh, you know, an injury situation like Jimmy Garoppolo on that level. But it, it, to my point is there are times where players agree to terms on a, con on a contract mm. and they have to go back. Teams have to go back and either terminate that contract not go through with that contract or amend the contract. So this isn't this isn't something that's again that's rare. It is rare to schedule a press conference and have to delay it because the player failed the physical <laughs> and then has to go through surgery. I think that's that's the added part where it makes you kind of raise your eyebrows a bit like, you know, what are the Raiders doing? But I think yeah. they had to do that because simply because, and I said this on a previous show, and this is a separate problem that I think Josh McDaniels is setting his ways. When he wants something or a player, he's going to just get that player regardless of what the situation is. And I think that any other team, and I said this before, any other team, had Jimmy Garoppolo gone to the Jets you know, or, or the Washington Commanders, I think if, if they found out that he needed surgery, they probably would have just said, we're not going to go through with this. We're going to just right. turn our attention to another quarterback. But because Jimmy True. Garoppolo has that history with Josh McDaniels, I think that's why the Rays went through with this and said, look, you know, of course they got positive word from the doctors, but I think any yeah. other team with Jimmy G's injury history, as you said, would be concerned and kind of back off and be cold feet. Whereas the Raiders have a head coach who had the history with Josh, uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo said, no, we're going through with it. I agree with you. And I think, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe this will be a little bit hyperbolic, but I really believe Josh McDaniels is staking his job on Jimmy Garoppolo at this point for now because if if Jimmy Garoppolo is a disaster meaning he doesn't play or he only plays 3 games before he's hurt again or something like that 
Um, you went all in on him to your point about them not backing off when he didn't pass the physical. He's all in. He wants his guy. He got rid of the other guy. We talked about it in the first segment with Derek Carr. Now he's got his guy. So guess what? That boat's gonna is is gonna float or it's gonna sink. And you got to be the captain. You're gonna have to go down with the ship. I really believe that, Mo. If it's a disaster this year, which it could be, it could also be the opposite. Jimmy Garoppolo could be very efficient stay somewhat healthy, maybe he only misses a couple games, and the Raiders do better than we anticipate, then he looks golden. If if it goes completely south, boy, uh, I don't know how Josh McDaniels can survive if this team, you know, only wins a game or two. And I'm not, I'm not a guy, and you know this, Mo, I don't call for the firing of coaches all the time either, especially after only two seasons. But you're going to have to own that one. I think he has a, a third-year safety net. So remember last week, right? We had an even if the Garopp- even if the Garoppolo thing is an old, uh, just a terrific disaster. I, I think so because mm. I think you do understand that Jimmy Garoppolo does have an injury history. So in a way, that kind of protects Josh McDaniels because if Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, that's out. That is outside of Josh McDaniels, you know, control. Mm-hmm. But he, as we just made the point, he signed Jimmy knowing that he has that injury history. But <laughs> if the Raiders wind up with a top five pick and they have a shot at, at a at a premier collegiate quarterback prospect, I think Mark Davis says, okay, we went 6-11, and 11, we took a step back, Jimmy G got hurt. Mm. Okay, we can get a top quarterback prospect. We're going to let Josh McDaniels groom that guy mm. and see what happens for at least the first year. I think he has that third-year safety net because we talked about this previously that the way the Raiders went about their offseason, and, and Dave Ziegler said this, they're not going to fix all their problems within uh, an no. offseason. So I think Mark Davis goes into this year thinking this is the year that we're going to build. We're going to have some pieces in place. We're going to try to build what we have. But next year, we're going to put the expectations on Joshua Daniels and Dave Ziegler that we need to make marketable improvements because now, okay – we have Jimmy G or we or maybe we have a top five pick. We can get a new quarterback. And you've now had two seasons to not only get rid of the old regime's players, mm. but get some of your own players. And I think I think Mark Davis went into it thinking at least three years, we have to see some improvements. And if we don't see improvements, then we have to move on. But to, but as I said, the emailer asked us what has to happen for Joshua Dance to get fired. I think the yep. locker room would absolutely the leaders in locker room, Devonta Adams. Josh Jacobs, if he's there, Max Crosby. If those guys turn on Josh McDaniels, then I think he gets fired. I don't think a bad season is enough to get out of that third year because I think they went into this year thinking this is year two of this is year two of Josh McDaniels, but year one of a mini rebuild. Well, and the question would be if if Garoppolo is a disaster and things the wheels just start flying off the car. Uh, do those leaders lose trust in McDaniels and then does he lose the locker room? Those things could happen together. Right. So, but you bring up the good point, which is they would have to lose the locker room for that to happen. And I don't disagree. Okay. We're going to step aside uh, for our final break here on silver and black today. When we come back, we'll wind up the show with a couple other things that I noticed from the news. You're listening to silver and black today and Odyssey original podcast covering the Raiders. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It is the home stretch here on Silver and Black today. Yes, we cover the Las Vegas Raiders. Also, we talked about Father's Day on Sunday. We also wanted to say happy Juneteenth to those out there and hope you had a good day. A lot of people had the day off, Mo. I know you and I didn't have the day off, but that's okay. There were a lot of parades, a lot of things going around 
uh, uh, America as this for, for I mean, it's a new federal holiday. Juneteenth has been celebrated for obviously decades and decades, but a new federal holiday. So a lot of folks had yesterday off. Yeah, it's a I mean, national holiday now, new holiday recognized, observed, you know, across the board. But when I was growing up and I know I'm sure a lot of old heads that listen to the show (laughs) will recognize this when I say this before the talk about Juneteenth, when I was growing up, I took Black Solidarity Day off, which is in November. I didn't know about this. What's this? It's 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 not recognized as a national holiday now. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people in the South, my family comes from South Carolina, recognize the holiday and they would let me stay home uh, wow. you know, in November on that day. So for the people who know what Black Solidarity Day is, shout out to you. <laughs> uh, for the people, who, for the new school celebrating Juneteenth, enjoy the holiday, you know, have some food, friends, music, whatever you do. I know in New York City, it's a big thing. You know, out here, you're going to you're going to have festivals, you're going to have people out celebrating. So. For the people out there listening to our show, enjoy it, whether it's it's Juneteenth or if you wait until November for Black Solidarity Day. Shout out to you for celebrating that. And we'll mention that on the show. But just want to give a, a quick happy Juneteenth, to everyone listening. There you go. See, we don't we always want to recognize what's going on out there. And that's part of that. So uh, I hope everybody had a good Juneteenth. And now we're into June 20th. <laughs> That, yeah, I don't know. The teenth thing threw me the first time I heard it because I think like most Americans, I was ignorant to the fact that what it was celebrating until then. Oh, OK, now I get it. Uh, but the spelling thing still to me, it, it like it's 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 interesting. It's like the only holiday that's kind of capped that way. So very cool. Quick, quick thing. I think yeah. it also matters where you were raised in the country. If you heard sure. Juneteenth, because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know a lot about Juneteenth until it was talked about a few years ago. I, I've heard mm-hmm. of it, but I, it re- I really didn't dig into it, and it really wasn't a big thing. As I said, Black Solidarity Day was in my family, so it, it's just pretty interesting that even people with my skin color will tell have told me I didn't know what Juneteenth was until it was talked about. But what, what your skin color? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah, you know, because if people for, for people who don't have the visual, I, I know a lot of people say I, I may sound like a white person, but I, I am I do <laughs> Is have that a what darker, people say? Yeah, some people may say oh this, but I gosh. do have a darker hue. If you if you were to see me in person, if you're watching out there on YouTube land, shout out to everyone in YouTube land. I'm yeah. a black guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting, man. I, people, yeah, people, they, they say you sound like a white guy, which is interesting. My favorite, as you guys know, uh, and and I know there are people who will unsubscribe to the channel because if I talk about the Padres, they'll unsubscribe. Oh, man. Go figure. Uh, but Tony Gwynn was the same way too, right? Tony Gwynn, he used to tell a story about that. He'd call a hotel down and they'd come up and he'd say, I'd open the door and the guy'd be like, who is this guy? Are you the guy? Uh, oh, I must have the wrong room. This guy called about this. He's like, no, that's me. <laughs> because of because of his voice it's really interesting how we all make these assumptions based on what we think or or the preconceived notions or experiences too right uh so anyway kind of kind of fun stuff but yeah all right we're gonna get back into the football now let's get on we talk about stories out there with the raiders i don't know if you saw the news but the nfl for the first time since 2019 will hold a supplemental draft on July 11th on the NFL Network. Uh, obviously, Purdue wide receiver Milton Wright is one of the guys who is now eligible for that as well. Uh, the last player picked in the supplemental draft was Jalen Thompson, who was selected by the Cardinals 
back in 2019. Just an interesting note, because remember when the supplemental draft kind of was a big thing? Uh, and and then it kind of went away because of the rule changes with drafting and, and college players and all stuff. Now it's back. First time since 19. Interesting stuff. I just thought it popped up on my my news alerts, and I was kind of like, oh, my, wow, supplemental draft. I remember when that was a big deal. Yeah, I do remember when it was sort of a big deal. The Giants had a player, too, uh, in recent years they got from the supplemental draft. The guy, it was a cornerback. Yeah. I think it might have been Valentine, uh, but he didn't, he didn't turn into much. But the play you mentioned is interesting because Purdue wide receiver – Raiders do have a quarterback from the same school. <laughs> no, but they, they don't need another wide receiver, I would assume. This is a big wide receiver. He's like 6'3", 200, yeah, close big, to 200 big pounds. So and he's going to go to a team that, that needs a possession receiver um, that may that may need a number two guy, and I could see him latching on to a team like the Saints because Michael because of Michael Thomas's history. I know they drafted A.T. Perry, who I like as the sleeper, but I can actually mm-hmm. see – Bill Wright going to the Saints because of Michael Thomas's injury history. I know they have Chris Olave as their number one now, but yeah. Derek Carr likes big targets. And as I said, this guy is 6'3". So I, I will look at the Saints on this one, just mindful. Or maybe the Cardinals, they try to replace DeAndre Hopkins with him. But those are the two teams I would look at for, for him. But what I will say about the supplemental draft is, if, for people who don't know, it kind of gives uh, guys a chance to, to get, um, I want to say, drafted in a, in a traditional way, but guys who may have had some academic issues or, or something like that, because I think that was Milton Wright's um, issue. It was an academic yeah. eligibility thing he went through in college. This doesn't mean, like, just because they're going to supplement a draft doesn't mean they can't play and they can't ball. They These guys absolutely can. It's just that other other circumstances may have kept them out of the draft. So yeah, I, usually you're not a lot of players. It was like a, a one or maybe a few players drafted in the supplement of draft, but I think it's very interesting to look at the Saints and the Cardinals as landing spots for this with this wide receiver out of Purdue. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Just something else to do in July before camp <laughs> to talk about <laughs> for us with our football Jones going on. Uh, the other story I wanted to bring to your attention. I don't know if you saw it most. So if you didn't, uh, uh, that's okay too, but I know you'll have a good take on it, which is Braxton Howard over a pro football focus was writing about uh, the Raider situation and with, with Tyler Hall. Now you look at Tyler Hall, he says he's one of the top three slot cornerbacks in the NFL. Yes, he said that he said he was the third best slot corner in the NFL. Uh, that was back last week uh, when you look at the NFL based on passer rating allowed. So just to be full disclosure on that. So he openly discussed, hey, with Nate Hobbs playing more on the outside last year, uh, might we see that again? Because he's he's feeling like Tyler Hall is such a good slot corner that he's going to lock down that position. What's your take on Tyler Hall, what you know about him and the situation? Cause the, the, the cornerback situation in Las Vegas with the Raiders is in flux. Let's face it. Yes. They're going to have a bunch of guys in there, but people have to step up. Hobbs is one of those guys that we need to see from more from him, obviously uh, after a great little rookie year, but now he's got to come back and kind of establish himself. Do you think the scenario he points out there with Tyler Hall, uh, maybe locking up that slot cornerback position in his mind based on his talent and Hobbs playing more outside, or do you see something different? I think Taylor Hall has a shot. I, I remember we talked about Isaiah Polamau, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. In, a, in a previous show, and there are a lot of Raider fans high on him to have a bigger role in this upcoming season. I put Tyler Hall in this kind of in the same category where 
they have to show out in the preseason to really get a big role. Now, I would say Tyler Hall a little higher on the ladder than Isaiah Paul Mousin because if you read the piece on The Athletic, either to Sean Reed or Vic Tafer, mm-hmm. wrote a piece saying that Tyler Hall is in competition for that slot cornerback spot, and if he wins it, Hobbs would mostly be on the perimeter. Now, if he doesn't win it or doesn't show up in, in training camp or preseason, then you could see Hobbs more in the in the slot, maybe kind of a 50-50 role where he's playing both outside and inside. But Tyler Hall has a shot to to see a, a significant upkick, uptick in uh, playing snaps. I believe he started three games last year. He had some glimpses where he played well. But to me, it just wasn't enough to say that guy is going to be a star. That guy is going to be a solid starter going forward. I need to see more. I need to see it from him at training camp. From the reports, I need to see it from in the in the preseason. Again, I think if he has a strong preseason, he has a legitimate shot to win the slot cornerback position. But what I will say about the Raiders' cornerback room in totality is it's very it's very fluid. You got a rookie Jacorian Bennett who who turned some heads in the spring. You got Tyler Hall who has who showed some glimpses last year has a shot at the slot cornerback position. You can have Nate Hobbs on the outside, the inside. You brought in David Long Jr. and Duke Shelley in the offseason as free agents. So Marcus Peters, the report we talked about last week that the Raiders, it seems like the Raiders are going to be are going to sign him. So there, there's a lot baked into this cornerback situation, and I think if you really truly believe our iron sharpens iron, mm. you can get you can get one of those young guys to to step up and, and play a big role. Maybe Marcus Peters, maybe assuming the Raiders sign Marcus Peters, maybe he bounces back after a down year. But this cornerback group, the secondary in general, is going to be the most intriguing position group this offseason simply because of all the players, all the faces, all the factors, all the flexibility involved there. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. But I think I think that it, it the competition, to your point, the competition is good. So with who the Raiders have in camp, they'll be able to evaluate who's going to be best at what position and, and, and really win out those roles. It's going to be fun to watch. I and mean, to me, it's going to be one of the highlights of camp is to see how who comes out of that on top and who locks in what position. This is what I this is what I would want to happen. This is not, I'm not saying this will happen. This is what I want to see at cornerback. Marcus Peters on one end on the boundary, Jacorian Bennett on the other end on the boundary, and Nate Hobbs in the slot. I yeah, feel like man. Nate Hobbs in the slot had a great year, a pretty good year as a rookie. I think mm-hmm. he should, where he where he flourished, they should move him back. Yeah, he did well in the slot. Keep him in the slot, especially if you're going to sign a Marcus Peters. And if Marcus Peters can bounce back, pretty much a ball hawk went healthy. Jacorian Bennett tracked the ball very well. I know he had the penalties in Maryland, but opposite Deontay mm-hmm. Banks, he was the guy making the plays on the ball. So if you have a Jacorian Bennett and a bounce back version of Marcus Peters, the Rays can force some turnovers, and then you have Nate Hobbs performing at his best in the slot. I think that's the ideal situation at the cornerback position for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that, to your point about if they do sign Peters and Hobbs, that's the thing. Hobbs could play on the outside. He had some moments. But you go back to what did he do best? He did his best in the slot. And so I understand that. And even with Tyler Hall in camp uh, and on the team, I think that you got to go with your young buck. And he showed that he can play that position and do it well, so give him the time there to develop into the player that we think he can be because I think that that would be uh, the best thing for the team. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about, our good friend, and, and we're going to get him on the show here maybe later this week, um, Cody Benjamin over at CBS. He did his 2023 NFL running back matchmaker, right? So these are running backs who are either free agents like Ezekiel Elliott or like the Saquon Barkley's, the Josh Jacobs, looking for a landing spot if they can't come to a contract negotiation and they don't want to play into the tender. 
for their team. And his 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 curveball, as he calls it, and we'll get him on to talk about this, was Josh Jacobs. You ready for this, Raider Nation? To the Broncos. <laughs> right. So we'll let Cody know they're in the same division. He knows that. But I just thought it was very interesting because a lot of writers tend to write things that you would say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. This one, though, he did as uh, uh, as a, a kind of a, a I think a mix here of, of kind of, whoa, why would you trade within your division? Uh, but uh, it's interesting that there's talk in this conversation. Of course, he's got Dalvin Cook going to the Dolphins. Um, Joe Mixon back to the Bengals, Ezekiel Elliott to the Patriots, which actually makes a lot of sense. So um, that is interesting. I just don't see that happening. So we'll have to give Cody crap when he comes on the show about it because Broncos, Raiders, I don't – when have they ever made a trade, number one? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know that they ever have. I have to go back. Somebody – one of our fans who's a longtime Raider Nation card-carrying uh, resident will tell us, I'm sure. We'll, we'll give Cody the floor to to plead his case, but I, I will tell you that that ain't happening. If if, if, if the Rays, even if the Rays do trade Josh Jacobs, they're not going to trade him to a division rival. It's a top player. It's just it's just not going to happen. I, I think all of Nation would vomit. Number one, not that the <laughs> Josh Daniels and Dave Ziegler care about the reaction of the fans on this, but I, I just don't see it, it it happening simply because you don't want to trade the the 2022 rushing title, you know, rushing leader to your division rival. It just, it, yeah. it would make absolutely zero sense for the Raiders to make that trade, but I will use this moment to plug my own piece last week. Yes. I had, I had five trades that could, that could impact playoff races in 2023. And I had the Raiders actually trading Josh Jacobs to the Los Angeles Rams. Now I know that would make Raider fans equally vomit to give the Raider, to give Josh <laughs> Jacobs to the Rams in Los Angeles. But I, I think it, it makes sense simply because, yeah, they have Cam Akers, and, and Sean McVay said Cam Akers is going to be a big part of that offense. But if you look around the league, a lot of teams have two viable running backs. Right. Simply because running backs get banged up, they get hurt. So you want to have two guys that can carry the ball typically. And I think that's the route the Rays were going to go in if Josh Jacobs didn't go crazy and, and, and run the ball for 340 times for over 1,600 yards. But I think if you look at jo if you look at Sean McVay's offense, a lot of people want to talk about Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup. But his offense is really predicated on a strong ground attack. And he had some issues with Cam Akers over the previous years. Mm -hmm. But you bring in Josh Jacobs, who's only 25 years old, into that offense. All of a sudden, it takes a lot of pressure off of Matt Stafford, who's dealt with injuries and getting older in age. That team as a whole, that Ram squad, was banged up last year. Josh Jacobs and Cam Akers could be the engine of that offense if the Raiders want to trade him and send him outside of the, of the conference to an NFC yeah. team. Yeah, to your point about the NFC team, I mean, you look at teams who also need running backs in the NFC, Washington, the Commanders, or whatever they're going to be called now because of the trademark issue, um, they they need a running back, uh, as do the Vikings. They said goodbye to Dalvin Cook. Now, the Vikings obviously didn't want to pay top dollars, so that kind of maybe rules out a Josh Jacobs. And even the Commanders have some cap issues uh, in their rebuild, so they might not be able to afford a player like Josh Jacobs. But, man, it would take a lot of pressure off a quarterback in Washington if you were to bring in a Josh Jacobs and and he would do well in that division. Here's a here's a wild thought. Jerry Jones loves running backs. They drafted yeah. Ezekiel Elliott four. They then I, they left the door open for Ezekiel Elliott to come back. But I know they had Tony Tony Pyle, but he's coming off of of surgery. Sure, right. So and he wants a raise. What if, what if the Cowboys call the Raiders and say we, we'll take Josh Jacobs off your hand for a high draft pick? I, I wonder with the Raiders budget on that if they're willing to move Josh Jacobs because again. 
They also have an offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, who likes to use multiple running backs. So this is another team that's probably not just going to have Tony Fowler carrying the rock. I know I know they got a, some backups there in Dallas, but none of the caliber of Josh Jacobs. So I would just say, I don't I, – I put this out there. I don't – I hope the Rays work out something with Josh Jacobs. For fans listening to this and saying, why are you trading Josh Jacobs to all these places? <laughs> we're just saying, look, if, if he were to get traded, these are the spots that you should look out for. The Broncos not being one of them. Sorry, Cody Benjamin. We will give you the floor, but <laughs> we'll it ain't fun. happening. But yeah, it we'll ain't have, happening. We'll have fun with Cody on that one, I'm sure. He'll have some good explanation for it. He's a smart dude. Yeah, we knows. love him here, but but I'm yeah. sure I'm sure we'll have fun with it. All right. Uh, that's going to close out the show. There you go uh, for this uh, Tuesday in the middle of June. July is within reach. A couple more weeks, and then we'll be in the month that training camp starts. Yes, we'll have to get through the rest of July. Uh, but we'll do that. Mo, what do you got coming up this week? I know it's a slower week for you, too. You're taking a little bit of time and letting your uh, your colleagues do some of the work uh, this week. But tell us what you got coming up. I briefly, I previously mentioned this briefly on the, on the last show. Uh, quite big question at every position group for the Raiders. So I'm going to go through every position group, nine, and, and just just talk about or discuss. I'll pose the question, whatever it is. All the biggest questions that Rays have to answer before training camp or at training camp, and then give my solution, my answer to that question. So it'd be something like, you know, what do the Raiders do with Josh Jacobs' contract situation? And I mm-hmm. gave a solution on the last show. I said I would offer him a three-year, thirty-nine million dollar extension to see what he says. Now, if he doesn't accept that, then we have to amend it. But it, I, I think that should be the starting offer to see if you can get him in the camp and get things rolling. Other than that, I think the defense has a lot of intriguing questions. It's Devon, mm-hmm. it's Devon Diablo the guy. You know, if Marcus Peters gets signed, who are, who is the other starting quarterback outside of Nate Hobbs? I, those are some of the questions that I will ask in the piece and also answer. And that's going to be on Sports Not, correct? Yes, that's going to be on Sports. All right. So make sure you look for that. If you follow Mo on Twitter at M O E M O T O N, that's Mo Moten. Uh, he'll tweet out the piece. So will I. So will SMB today. So you either place you'll be able to find it when it hit when it hits and it's hot. And you can go into it. We'll do that. On Thursday, we're going to talk a little bit too, Mo. I want to talk about how, you know, kind of make or break years for some of the Raiders, the returning Raiders, and and some of the free agent guys who've come in. So we'll get into that a little bit in addition to your piece as you have a light week for Mo Moten's world, which is nice. Hope you enjoy the sunshine and uh, the weather in New York. Is The fire stuff, we're still getting some of it down here. I don't know if you're still getting it there. We had we were supposed to have some hazy skies over the over the past yeah. weekend, but I didn't. I was outside a bit, and not a bit. I was outside quite a lot, and I didn't really notice it. The last time, the first wave of the smoke here, I actually was outside, and you can literally taste it. Taste if you're it. Outside yeah. long enough. That that's was crazy. The case over the past weekend. That's crazy. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, enjoy your Tuesday, Wednesday, Mo. We'll talk to you on Thursday, brother. Mm, sounds good. All right, for uh, Mo Moten, for our producer, Mike Robier. Yes, he's the guy who keeps it all together. We appreciate all the work that he does for us at Odyssey. Uh, I am Scott Branson, and this has been Silver and Black today. You guys have a great Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll be back to you on Thursday talking more Raiders football. Take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you then.